When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello there and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian and you are listening to episode 215 of the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast, a twice-weekly show about intentional and eco-minimalist living. On today's show, we are applying the tenets of minimalism to our professional endeavors, to our careers. How can we take a less is more attitude and apply it to where we spend our nine to fives? Now, I am speaking with somebody who has an incredible story about this topic today. His name is Chris Lovett, and he is the author of Discovery of Less, How I Found Everything I Wanted Underneath Everything I Owned. He has a lovely British accent, and I know you're going to love his story as much as I do. Chris, I'm so excited to talk to you. How are you? Uh, long time listener, first time caller. Um, so, and thank you for the accent, you know, British accent. Yeah, it's a, um, the Americans love a British accent. I don't know why that is. Why do you guys love a British accent? Well, that's actually my first question for you. It has nothing to do with today's topic, but it's random, and I just have to ask you. When an American hears a British accent, definitely, but really any accent, I think we just love it for whatever reason. My question to you is, what do Brits think when they hear an American talking? (laughs) (laughs) Let's move it on quickly, shall we? Um... I think, for, for, well, this is from me growing up because my uh, my my TV and the music that I listened to was all American. So it was almost like every all the things that have uh, all my interests that have made me who I am have come from the American culture. So it was always cool. It was always cooler to listen to American accent. Yeah, so I always link back, you know, an American accent is to cool stuff that you create and just wonderful times that I've had in my life. That's a good answer, isn't it? That was pretty good. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> yeah, you spun that really well. What I hear you saying is that we're I'm cool. Clearly, I'm cool. Why don't we start today by you telling us who you are, what you do, how you found yourself writing a book about your discovery of less and Specifically, tell us about your bold career moves. So, yeah, so my name's Chris Lovett, and I'm from London. And I've got uh, a few titles now that I never used to have. So, I'm a, I'm a coach and a speaker and an author of the book Discovery of Less. And it came about by, you know, stumbling on this thing called minimalism and this thing, you know, and the activity of, of decluttering. And so I now. Um, one of probably one of the only UK 
minimalists or male minimalists especially and I'm trying to increase our awareness of of less and how to live a more meaningful life by intention and making good decisions not just in your personal life or with your physical and material stuff but with all aspects of life so I'm utilizing all of the kind of skills I've had over my personal and professional career and all the growth and experience I've had from traveling and taking massive risks and making mistakes and using that to help people to to understand that actually you probably don't need a lot of stuff to be really really happy so talk to me about your life pre finding minimalism what did you do for a job and are you still doing that these days from about 2001 to about 2016, I was a, I was catching bad guys from behind a desk. I was trying to keep people safe from being scammed. You know, so I worked in fraud, basically. I got to a certain point in my career where I was then leading um, a big team across multiple sites in the UK. And I'd thought, oh, I've made it. This is what I was supposed to have done. You know, once you get the title of head of or manager or whatever it is, you think, oh, right, well, this is this is where you're supposed to be. Now you're successful by societal terms. You know, so I had um, I had the job that society says you're supposed to have and the title. But what came along with that was that I was massively busy all the time, working silly hours, uh, loads of mental clutter, you know, uh, loads of debt as well because although I was working really hard, I was spending quite a bit of money on useless junk as well. So my DVD collection was impressive slash out of control. Yeah, everything was in my little flat that I had in South London um, stored away. So every single drawer, every single nook and cranny was filled with stuff. So all of these things were just around. Um, and almost made my life really, really comfortable. You know, I was just slap bang in the middle of a comfort zone. So before I took the massive jump of decluttering and, and moving away from all of that, it was a life of consumption. I was just consumed by my work, by my self-limiting thoughts, and by loads and loads of stuff. So I often hear when I interview fellow minimalists that they feel as though because they work hard in their careers, they feel as though they've earned or they deserve rewards and rewards often come in 2021 in the accumulation of stuff. Did you have those thoughts and feelings as well? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. Right. You know, cause how do, okay. And this is what my mindset was like, is that how do you, show that you are doing well in life it's with the accumulation of stuff um, and with the title as well so how could I portray my success in society well just getting a car and you know getting the latest iPhone and getting all of the, the tech and gadgets and stuff that you know propelled you apparently to a higher status in society that's how we were brought up and that's what advertisers always have told us that you know you're not anything unless you have those trainers. 
And so I totally bought into all of it. And, you know, even my Converse collection was just as ridiculous as my DVD collection. You know, I had every shade under the, under the sun, you know, and hardly wore any of them. And so, yeah, that was almost a bit like, you know, my, my social status was with things and busyness as well. And, you know, what I found over the last few years is that I hear more and more people say how busy they are. And what that basically is saying that I'm so important. I'm so in demand. I'm so needed that I'm just so busy. And, um, yeah, and maybe we really are with stuff to do and things to do. But actually underneath all of that is why do we like to proclaim ourselves to be super busy? And, you know, are we just saying, well, actually, if I, if I tell Stephanie that I'm super busy, what I'm really saying is that I'm really important and you need to take notice. I've mentioned on this podcast before that I had a light bulb moment that really changed me from my figurative life of living in the dark and led me towards a less is more lifestyle. Talk to me about your light bulb moment. When did you look at your Converse collection and your CD collection and DVD collection with a critical eye? How did that happen? It happened a bit weirdly, actually. So I didn't really know what I was doing. Let's just call it this big room that has a couple of light bulbs in it, and we switched them on different at different times. And so the first one was about February 2017, I think it was, when I was sitting in my living room. My partner had gone to work, and it was a weekend. My partner had gone to work, and I was I'd just woken up, and and I thought, right, uh, time to start planning the travelling trip. And so this is in the book as well, but it was all about what I need to do to be prepared to go traveling. What I chose to do is I chose to sort out all of my music. So as I started getting my CDs out off this shelf, I then went to, I did the downloads and then there was a thought, right, I need to put these back. And I couldn't put them back on the shelf. So I must have arranged them weirdly that they all fit. And there were a few just sitting on the floor and I was like, oh, I can't have them sitting on the floor. I've got to try and get them on the shelf somehow. I'll tell you what, if I just sell this extra copy of Napoleon Dynamite that I've got, that will give me that space so I can put that Puff Daddy CD there and everything will be right where it needs to be. So I don't know if you guys have got it, but we've got an app uh, called Music Magpie and it downloads the price of the of the item if you just scan the barcode. So what I does, if I just sell this DVD, it's gone. And I've got that bit of space and I can stick something else in the space. So I started scanning it and I scanned Napoleon Dynamite and it was like worth 5p. And I was like, wow, I've spent 15.99 on this one. And then I bought it again because I forgot I had it the first time around. So I probably spent about 30 pounds on two copies of Napoleon Dynamite. And then I thought, I wonder how much my copy of Ghostbusters is worth. And I scanned that and that was worth 10p. And so I kept doing it and doing it and doing it. and we're talking about eight or nine hours later, my partner came in, the lights were still off. I was sitting, I hadn't eaten all day. So I've still got barefoot. My hair's all in a mess and I'm surrounded by huge piles of CDs, DVDs, books. She's coming in. She goes, what on earth are you doing? And I just gone, I'm selling it all. <laughs> Do you know that we can get 163 pounds with all this stuff? And um, within two or three days, they were boxed up and gone. And that £163 then went towards 
paying for a flight that we got to Copenhagen. So, you know, as, as the story goes on, it was like I basically sold virtually everything before we went traveling, including my home. The car went um, and I had more funds to then put into traveling. It sounds to me like you holding that terrible movie, Napoleon Dynamite, in your hands uh, and realizing that you can sell this terrible movie, you can sell all your movies, all your DVDs, because when you get rid of stuff, you can live deeper, you can live more, you can have more experiences. And that literally happened for you by getting rid of your extra stuff you were able to invest that money that you got into experiences and to travel. And so I'd love to transition this conversation and talk to you about career minimalism, not suggesting necessarily that my listeners go out and quit their jobs tomorrow. But I do want to talk to you about how we can apply the tenets of minimalism to our careers. And I suppose my first question here when we when we discuss career minimalism is, your concept of becoming a specialist in something. Why is the Western way of viewing work and becoming specialists in our fields perhaps holding us back? Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting concept. I've, I've recently come across and it's, I've started to see it a lot now when, in, when the job that I do now and then help people through, through one-to-one coaching and group coaching, I'm seeing that the people, my clients now, are specialists and experts, and they're the ones that are most stuck. Um, so it's terms like, do you remember we used to say things like jack of all trades, master of none, right? It was almost like that was a negative connotation. So if you didn't master in something, actually being a generalist was, well, you weren't going to be anything in life. So what we did is we became experts and we you know we've got all the qualifications under the sun we spent all our time money resources energy on understanding the thing and being the best at the thing there's nothing inherently wrong with 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 doing that and you know we all strive to be better which is which is amazing but there is a concept now that i'm looking at and going i wonder if that's now got us in trouble because in 2020 when the pandemic hit you know lots of organizations immediately went we need to downsize to cater for like the economic, you know, economic waves that were hitting everyone. And, you know, through no fault of their own, the rug was being pulled out on so many people. All of a sudden they're going, well, we don't need that expertise anymore because we can automate it. So what we've done in the past, what we thought was really good is that we specialised and we became the expert. So when we started a new job, again, think back, Stephanie, from when we first started our first jobs or you know, first ventured into running our own businesses, we had this thing called the beginner's mindset. We didn't really know what we were doing. So we asked loads of questions. We spoke to loads of different people. We wrote stuff down. We were learning all the time. We were trying to absorb all of this information and make sense of it. And as as the years went on, you then became more experienced in that niche. And then we went further and further. We got deeper and deeper and deeper down this tunnel. And then we officially became an expert. And so what we do then is that rather than spend our time in the beginner mindset of continuing to learn about slightly different things or, you know, asking loads of questions, 
we spend our energy protecting that identity as an expert because it feels great. It feels good to be an expert. Um, and so you, you've tunneled yourself so deep down this, this niche that when someone taps you on the shoulder and go, hey, I need a broad thinker, you can't think broadly because all you can see is what you know. Yeah. On one hand, if you are a specialist or an expert in a field that lights you up and is aligned with your soul's purpose, that's one thing. But I believe, and I've found in my own professional life prior to having this podcast and writing my book, is that a lot of us go down a path or a tunnel that's not aligned with our purpose. And we have a voice perhaps in the back of our head saying, "Mm, this isn't quite right. But if you look at this specialist question figuratively, the longer you go down a path towards specialism or expert level knowledge, the harder, the longer it is to retreat. What tips do you have for people listening right now who are working too hard, are spending too much because they think they need that reward, who want to you know, take a step back from the Western way of work till you die, work until you're exhaust, you exhaust yourself. What, what tips do you have for them? Yeah, it's, um, again, it's another difficult one, Stephanie, because we've, again, that's what we've been brought up to believe is the best way. Um, you know, my parents, you know, I think my, my dad left school at 15 straight into a trade and he, changed jobs once and he's now 71 and so his view was that you you worked in one area until you retired and then you can rest so you can imagine stephanie what what my parents are like when i keep coming home every two years going oh i've changed jobs again they go why are you doing that you're just making it worse and i'm like no you don't understand i'm going i'm diversifying i'm doing lots of different things getting more fulfillment and so it doesn't compute to my mum and dad um but yeah some 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 tips is is some really uh kind of introspective stuff that you could potentially do and have a look at practical things like the meetings that you go to you know why why do we need to be at every single meeting we're invited to again there's an underlying thing there about being needed uh, and with all those meetings do they always need to be an hour do they always need to be two hours etc i'm sure if you run a meeting for 45 minutes we'd be able to get the job done so there's a funny thing because when you use, depending on the, the type of like email platform you use, if you work in a kind of corporate setting, you open up the packet, you install Outlook, and your meetings are half hour or an hour. That's how the calendar is divided, right? Um, even with Google, uh, the calendar is divided by hours. And so we almost go, right, we're going to fill that hour with stuff to do and stuff to talk about. And so, you know, just be a little bit more flexible and go well let's see if we can do it in 20 minutes uh, let's see if we can do it in 40 you know, you know you get your time back so that's that's great one um i'm a big advocate of saying no so you know getting better at how to say no to to people is is a skill now that people are going to be looking at and going well how do i defend my time a bit more or as i like to call Stephanie, how do i not get into yes debt 
Do you like that one? I like it. Yes, Dad. It's a new one. It's a good one. (laughs) Well, I'm sorry. I just wanted to say that your answer there really reminds me of the main point of Essentialism, the book. I'm not sure if you've read it, but it's that we all have a set or a finite amount of time and energy and resources, right? So it's when we're talking about career minimalism, it's really about are we spending that finite amount of time and energy on the right stuff? Like, what can we say no to? And what can we say yes to? Because those tasks, the tasks that we're choosing to say yes to, are um, like, we're the only person to do it. We have, we should be saying yes to the to the tasks that are best suited for our skills and not just saying yes to all the meetings and all the all the fluff because we're invited to it. Is that what you're saying there? Yeah, yeah. It's it's almost like so picture your home, you know, once you go through that that phase of decluttering, you're getting rid of the stuff that doesn't add value. It's almost replicating that in a work environment and going, where can I trim here? Where can I trim the fat? And, you know, if you, if left, I mean, I'm sure your listeners have, you know, probably got hundreds of emails. Do you remember, you know, we used to go to, you used to go on holiday and then you come back from holiday and the first thing you do is you complain to your coworker, I've got 500 emails to work through. (laughs) That's another case of, oh, that's me being, that's me being important because, you know, even while I was away, people still wanted my time. But those, those things like, you know, having tons and tons of emails to to wade through is just a disruption it's just a distraction from actually doing the the work that you were that you agreed to do the off you know in the the job spec i've never seen a a job specification that says oh by the way you're going to be spending 60 percent of your time answering emails right it it just doesn't say that right you're not that's not your job So why are you spending 60% of your time answering emails and going to unproductive meetings? That 60%, that's a stat that I got from a report that came out in December last year from Workfront, I think they're called. And 60% of an employee's day is wasted on unproductive emails, um, unproductive meetings, and duplication of effort. Hmm. One more question I have for you has to do with being on a career path and feeling as though you are a slave to the culture of your employer. I'm thinking about my husband here. He is on a career path. He enjoys his career. However, he feels as though he can't be the first to leave in the afternoon, let's say, because being first to leave means that you are not as invested as the people who stay till 6 or 6.30 or even 7 p.m. And he doesn't want to be the first or the last in in the morning either for the same reasons. He doesn't want to take all his sick days because taking all your sick days makes you perhaps seem lazy or, (laughs) you know, whatever. Do you have any tips for people who feel as though they like their career, they like their job, it lights them up, but they feel as though the Western way of work is keeping them from their real life, their personal life, perhaps? Yeah, and I think this is probably where we start to differ in regards to our uh, the American way and the, the more European way is um, I've got friends in America who sound exactly like that. Exactly like your husband, 
and that's a cultural thing. Um, it sounds to me that they're assumptions. You know, they're not rules that have been made up by anyone. There's just assumptions to not be the first, not be the first to leave, and not not the last to turn up. You know, they've just been created out of nowhere, and so it's a good opportunity to to challenge those assumptions. You know, do do the meetings always need to be on a Monday morning? How come they're always on a Monday morning? Oh, it's just the way it's always been done. That, that these types of questions, you know, help people to start to be a bit more disruptive with their working environment so yeah but european way of working we're very much a case of um once your time is up that's it that is you done um people take their own choice around whether they want to work longer but actually we're probably now more looking at the well-being aspect of we want you to be okay first um, and then you can do your job better because we want you to be performing at 100% every day. Whereas if we know you're doing 12 hours a day, you're going to give us a higher risk of getting stuff wrong, which means you're going to put us back. We're going to have to get someone else to come in and help. And so it costs for you to get it wrong. And if you're not in a good place physically and mentally, you know the risk of that increases. And I think there's a you know, there's a thing called decision fatigue that after a certain amount of decisions during the day, you start to make bad calls, right? Which is probably why some of us, you know, eat really bad towards the later end of the day because we're not, we're not so far, I could have another biscuit uh, or I, you know, have a bit of candy or something because our decision-making abilities is really drained away as we as gone. And so, you might look at people like um, Obama, for example, and Steve Jobs and, and people like that. They wore the same thing pretty much every day. So Obama had a, only a couple of suits to choose from. You always saw Jobs in that bloody roll neck. <laughs> and so it was less decisions to make earlier on in the day so they could be on better form later on when the decisions really need to be made. So, yeah, so, I mean, the tips on that is, is look after number one um the culture is created by groups of people and how can you start to change the culture by your own actions and activities and your own mindset um yeah and if you're a leader if you're a leader of people what assumptions have been sat there for years and years and years that people are just following even there's there's no rules they've just been created out no out of thin air and that tends to happen quite a lot and so if you've got that minimalist mindset that i like to kind of use within the workplace is that you can go why are we doing that and that just starts a really interesting conversation being a good disruptor i think is now pivotal especially after covid as covid hopefully will become parts of our life now that we need to be more uh, progressive more disruptive and um, we're gonna, only going to do that if we're feeling okay to ask good questions well, you mentioned there challenging assumptions and being a disruptor. And if that isn't minimalism in a nutshell, I don't know what is, right? Chris, I love this conversation and I love your circumnavigational way of answering questions. That's very British of you. <laughs> <laughs> Where can listeners find more of you and find your book, Discovery of Less? Yeah, I'll, I'll give a straight answer this time. You can find more out about me on lessisprogress.com. That's my website. 
Uh, Discovery of Less is available on all online book retailers. So your usual places like Barnes and Noble, um, Amazon, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, it's in paperback format and it's an ebook too, so you can go and get into that as well. Well, Chris, I want to thank you so much for giving me your time. I look forward to following your minimalist journey and seeing where you go next. So thank you so much. Oh, likewise, Stephanie. It's a joy to um, to connect and create with you. Listeners, I so hope you enjoyed my conversation with Chris Lovett, author of Discovery of Less. I have linked to him and his book and some other fun stuff in this week's show notes which you can find at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 215. Now, this week we have an eco tip. Ashley called into our call-in line and left it, so I'm going to let Ashley spread the eco tip love in her own words. So here is Ashley's voicemail. Hello, Stephanie. My name is Ashley. I live in the Denver, Colorado area. I was calling with a recent eco tip I've started doing. I am a reuser of gift bags as well as the tissue paper that come in them. Something I've recently started doing is also uh, reusing cards. So if someone leaves us a nice card, I will, and there's no writing on the, on the front. So there'll be the, the label on the front. And then on the inside, sometimes people write a note. Or sometimes they leave that blank and write their note on the second page. If there's no note on the first page, I will cut that off with the front part and reuse that to give to someone for an occasion. I found that this is a really great way to extend my stationary supply as well as reusing something that would otherwise just get thrown away or recycled. Have a nice day. Ashley, thank you so much for taking the time and calling about your creative way of reusing cards. I should say my mom does this all the time, especially around the holidays. If she receives holiday cards, instead of just trashing them after the season is over, she will cut out the wreath in her nicest cutting or cut out the Christmas tree or whatever the picture is, and then she'll punch a hole in it, attach some string, or maybe attach it to a package with some tape and write who it's from on the back, on the clear side. So uh, a card is reused. A card's life is extended, I should say, by becoming a tag on presents the following year. So thank you so much, Ashley. What a great idea. Listeners, quick reminder to you, if you are doing something so well in your home, you are killing it with your eco-friendly endeavors, you should spread the love. I've listed in this week's show notes how you can call in and leave your eco tip. It's really simple. Just do what Ashley did. Leave your name, say your tip, say goodbye. There you go. I'll play it on air. If you are feeling a little bit bashful, don't want your voice on air, you can email me and I will read it myself. I will see you all on Thursday where I'm answering another listener's question. See you then. Have an amazing two days. Reach out if you need me and I'll see you on Thursday. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. 
Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today.